Welcome back to the fourth episode of the Invincibly Supermassive Comic Book Podcast of Stuff. So this is where I usually take your questions and answer them podcast style. But today we have another special guest. We have Scott Snyder. How you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, so, death of the family. How you, you? So you have it all mapped out. You're done. You you have it planned, right? Yeah, I just finished the last issue, actually, this week. So just the script, right? Yeah, the script, right. Greg is just finishing up 16 right now. Yeah, so I, I got to talk to, to him um, on the phone. He cracked me up. I mean, yeah, so he... <laughs> He's a character and a half, man. He's like one of my best friends now. He's We're, we're like total opposites, but we just get along so well. <laughs> there, there, there was one point where he... Because I, I asked him, you know, what was the process, you know, when you write the scripts, when you hand it to him and... He's like, Scott hands me the baby. He's like, I powder is behind. He's like, the baby's behind, not Scott's. <laughs> I know, right? He's, uh, he definitely like, he busts your balls no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> All so, the time. Yeah, it means he likes you. <laughs> but, but the thing is, uh, now, I imagine he works out a lot. I mean, he's, <laughs> yes, he he's, definitely does. He is, uh, he is a big man. He's, he, I mean, he's, he's like, like a wrestler. Style. And I, I always envision, I, I don't know if I've ever actually said this, but I, I envision him approaching the drawing board like a wrestler where he just gets in there and just attacks it and just just demolishes it and and to do everything he does i mean it's, it's a such such an amazing you know just so detailed so superhero-y just I, I don't even know how to describe it but yeah he i don't know how there are enough hours in the day for him man he he uh also like you know, he um, he does literally a page or two pages every single day, no matter what, on the weekend, too. I mean, there's always a page. It's like I've never worked with anybody um, who's as much of a machine when it comes to, to getting pages in and who also sort of um, reworks the pages so, so heavily on his own. You know, he'll like just literally before I got on with you, he just sent a redo of a page from 16 that was beautiful but he just he just touched up certain parts of it because he was like i just think these could be better you know so he's just a consummate perfectionist and um also just he couldn't be more you know reliable about about just turning in work um early and being involved and getting back to you every email like talking story he's just 100 percent invested in this book and it makes us just want to to strive even more you know me and john and fco and, and all the other guys in the team because crazy because he he said he, he he spends like twelve hours a day drawing and, and he mentioned that you know he pretty much does it like seven days a week and every once in a while he might take a day off but it's like it, <laughs> it's rare so I if, vouch I can vouch for that he's a workaholic and I feel like that's one of the reasons that we probably make a kind of pathological uh, team in the way that I'm I'm a pretty big workaholic myself you know unfortunately and yeah. I try and make really good time for family you know in the evening and stuff but uh, I'm I I'm pretty that. maniacal about about um, about, you know, making sure these things are as good as they can be too. So but like the, the, the thing is if, if he's drawing 12 hours a day, when the heck does he work out? 
<laughs> Usually it seems late at night. I'll sometimes see things from him where he's like, I got to go work out. And it's like late. So, but he tweeted a picture a while ago and sent me one where he's like, I can't remember if he tweeted it or just emailed it to me and Mike uh, Martz, but he was like, God, to be 38 again. And it was when he was like literally, I guess, in amateur or professional bodybuilding competitions. <laughs> so it was a picture of him like, you know, super tanned, oiled up, like crazy <laughs> muscles, like no body fat, you know. And I was like 38, dude. Like I'm not even 38 yet. <laughs> like wow. to be 38, I wasn't that in that kind of shape when I was like, you know, 18. My God. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's, it's crazy. So uh, um, what's, what's, what's the reception been on your end for Death of the Family? Well, you know, it's been, it's been pretty overwhelmingly positive. I'm really thrilled because, you know, with a story like this, it's it's really personal to me. Uh, you know, the the story really came about from me trying to, to figure out what was most exciting and kind of scary about Bruce's um, emotional state at this sort of particular moment in continuity. And for me, it really was this, this idea that he's accumulated this family he cares deeply about. You know, and as the dad of, you know, young kids... I feel like, you know, I can completely relate to the way the world becomes a very scary place all of a sudden when you have children and you become frightened of things you weren't before. And there is part of you that just wishes you could stop worrying. And I knew right away that that was sort of, that was the moment that um, it hit me. I was like, well, who would come and kind of whisper in your ear? Don't you wish? I heard what you thought. I heard you thought you wish you could stop worrying. So why don't I do you a favor and, and let you stop worrying by killing all of them? You know, and, and obviously that would be the Joker saying that. So it just sort of came together in a way that was really personal to me. Um, and so the fact that the response has been, um, the fact that the response has been so positive, you know, really means the world to me personally. It means the world to all of us on Batman. But I mean, to me personally, in terms of the story, it's it's always hard to put that kind of piece of yourself out there. You know, it was the same when I was doing prose where, you put kind of the ugly stuff about yourself out there because that's the stuff that's also, you know, the most riveting and, and also the most, I think, redemptive, you know, when you, when you work your way through it. And, um, so I, I don't mean to get too, um, you know, too, uh, I guess too introverted about it that way, but, but it really does. I mean, I'm just as a thank you to everybody who said nice things about it. It really does mean a lot because, um, it is a story that, that, you know, it scares me in a, in a deep way <laughs> writing it. Yeah, so the, the big tease that, you know, something that I've, I've wondered a lot and I, I'm, I'm loving seeing it touched on is like, does he, or does he not know the big secret? And I'm not asking you cause I know, you know, you, you can't mention it now, but it, I mean it, that, cause that's the big thing is it, you know, a lot of people say that if Joker did know who Batman was, he wouldn't care because, you know, he's concerned with, with Batman. He doesn't care who's under the mask. And, you know, we, we've kind of seen that touched on before, but I kind of look at it as like, if he does know that, you know, that's, that's a big threat because he, he can use that. And so I, I'm, I, I know you're, you got nothing to say cause I don't want you to hint either way, but it's, it's like, that's the big tease. It's like, it's like, you know, does he really know? And, you know, like, so in issue 14 or 13, you know, he, he goes up and, you know, knocks on Bruce Wayne's door and it's like, holy crap. And then, um, Gail Simone even did that in, in Batgirl. Where you know there is yeah. a, there's a tease. It's like you know, does Joker know? And so, right, and it'll be in Nightwing too. Next yeah. uh, next issue, spoiler. But um, it's it's you know that's that's part of the the engine of the whole storyline is this fear that Joker, you know, knows what he says he knows, which is 
basically everything, you know, and, and that he's been in your house. He's cause to me, that's one of the scariest things about the Joker is that he's so invasive, you know, mm-hmm. you'll see, and this is a spoiler, but in the next issue, he Harvey Bullock kind of, um, comes into contact with him. I don't want to say how, cause I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but Harvey sort of sees him in a, in a minute and has, you know, has, it has him in his sights. And it's kind of like, you know, we have, you don't move, you're in our crosshairs and that kind of stuff. And all Joker has to do is start talking to him about how he knows that he used to be a drunk, you know, how he knows that he used to, he used to sort of be drinking on the job. And, and, you know, is, is, is that where you were when your friends were getting their necks broken, Harvey? You know, and in that way, he just, he's so, he gets in your head and that the fear that he would know who you are so that he could do that in such a, such a kind of, um, uh, invasive and, and if, uh, like offensive way. I mean, it almost feels like being, uh, like he's, he's, he's sort of violating you in this horrible way, you know, that, that, that he's like that when he doesn't know who you are, when he, when he's at a distance, he can still be invasive is what I mean with Harvey. Like, you know, but, but if he knew who you were and he claims I've been in your house, I've been in your shower, I've been under your bed to me, that's the, the scariest thing. Cause because Joker as a as a villain to me is this kind of force of evil where when he gets you in his sights, he wants to make you believe that the worst possible things that you fear are true about yourself are true. So he's not really a villain that just is scary in an objective way. I think he's scary in the deepest possible way because his goal is to say to you the things that you're worried about that you're capable of or that you, you think – you know, make you a bad person or a monster like me, the things that make you like me, well, they're, they're true and I'll prove it to you. And in that way, he's, he's sort of almost the perfect villain to me. He is the perfect villain. I mean, he's my favorite villain pretty much in all of literature because I feel like he's, he's the best kind of version of villainy burned down to its kind of purest core. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Okay. So, um, by the time this goes out, because um, I'm recording this early, which I let people know that. Um, so uh, two weeks prior to this, when this goes live, so that that's when we posted the the interview with with Greg, and um, so we we got to see some pages from Batman 15. Um, so are you are you familiar with which pages were released? Um, they, they, of fifteen. Yeah, because DC released three images, three pages. What? So there, uh, there's one where um, tell me because I some I know I I would know if you just tell me yeah. what they look okay. Like. So there's there's one where um, Bruce is with the entire family. So he's he's talking to um, Jason, <laughs> Dick, uh, Barbara, and Damien and Tim. So there, right. there's that image, and that at the last page is they're looking at the monitor where you see Joker attacking Alfred. Alfred, yeah. and then um, the other two pages actually I think are um, I think they're 18 and 19. I think that's what they're labeled. Where one it's just like a shot like from the city and you see a window, there's like a, a like a dinner yeah, going on. It's like Batman's getting closer to a certain and window. And then he busts through the window and he grabs the guy and the guy just looks at him. So I don't know if that's something that I, I'm wondering like, what the heck is going on there? Who, who's this family that, that he's attacking? I don't know if that's something that you can mention, you know, two weeks from, from now. Oops, sorry. I'll turn that off. But, um, I, I will, I, it is actually something that I, I don't really want to give away because it's so, um, cause it's, it is sort of a big plot point. So I don't want to say who that is okay, or, that, yeah, that's fine. or what's going to, what's going to happen in that department. But I'll say that, um, 
14 and the beginning of 15 or the first half of 15 really are the calm before the storm as crazy as, um, as crazy as that sounds, um, given the way I think, you know, people seem to be interpreting 14, you know, and how tense it is. I mean, this really is sort of Joker just putting the pieces on the table. So the things that happen towards the end of 15 and then in, in 16 and 17 are, are so twisted and out there that, um, I promise like it, it only, it only gets kind of crazier from, from, um, from where we are right now. Okay. Yeah. So, so this should go out on the 28th, just, just so you, you have a front. Great. So we're talking in the past into the future or something like that. <laughs> now, um, Greg also mentioned 16. I don't know if he was joking, but he mentioned like a, a pink penguin with like a rocket up its butt. Say that again. He, Greg mentioned having to draw like a pink penguin with like a rocket up its butt. <laughs> that is not actually happening. Oh man, man! In any way, shape, or form. Okay, because I was asking, like, I, I asked him if anything that you did like surprises him, you know, <laughs> with what he has, and so I guess I know I surprise him. I know I, I, I he because we 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 talk every day, <laughs> but he surprises me too. I mean, that, that's one of the joys of working with Greg is that, like, I'll write something and I I said to in the next one in sixteen there's like. In fifteen two, there's a, there's some horrifying. There's definitely, I mean, horrifying stuff. But once you get to sixteen and seventeen, I mean, the gloves are so off that it's like I actually in the, the I put like a disclaimer at the beginning of the script for Greg. I'm sorry if I sound strange. I have a bit of a cold, but um, I um, put a dis- disclaimer at the beginning of the script that was essentially like, I'm sorry. I know many people are hurt <laughs> in this one. Many things are hurt, animals, people, all kinds of stuff. And I apologize if any of this is offensive to you, but, you know, just let me know. And he wrote back and he was like, I'm going to knock this one out of the park, you know. And, and what he's done so far is so horrifying on 16. It just makes me happy being the evil person I am. That was one of the questions I asked Greg. I asked him if he ever felt bad when um, you make him draw scenes where like Batman or, or Jim Gordon get all beat up. And he said that after Court of the Owls, that he became desensitized. So he said, Scott's ruined me. I'm like this cold, heartless guy who could just kick the shit out of anybody now and feel no remorse. <laughs> I know. I definitely feel like a strange guilt about it in the way that I feel like the other day, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be at like my kid's soccer game, you know, and then it's halftime and they're, they're, they're out there doing their cheers and then their plays. And I'm like going to get a soda from the place and Greg will call or someone, will, you know, and, and be like, is this, do you want me actually to, to, to burn this person alive? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I want like five panels of them screaming and the flesh melting. And there's like a kid online in front of me, you know, with a lollipop or something. I'm like, oh, sorry. So I, I don't know. There is a way of compartmentalizing it where maybe I, maybe I really am just that kind of, that guy that you're like, you know, um, he was so nice. He seemed so quiet. So we wow. we better hope that you don't ever get taken off the book. So you <laughs> so you don't lose an outlet for all this. I know. It's definitely I don't know how it, I don't know how to how it works, but it's very odd because I can't read a lot of the stuff that I write in terms I can read it in my own book, but I mean like I can't I used to love these 48-hour mysteries on TV. I don't know if you watch these, but it's always the husband, by the way. And there's, like, it's, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler, right. It's always like, who could it be? <laughs> the wife disappears, you know? It's, believe me, it's, it's the husband no matter what they try and pretend. <laughs> but um, I used to watch those, and, and every once in a while, it would be a kid disappeared or something like that, and I, could, I cannot watch those anymore, no matter what. Yeah. And yet I can write something like Severed, where it's essentially about somebody who eats children on the road and re- revel in that, and... I don't know. I was talking actually to Mark Wade about it and being like, 
do you think that it's a sense of control? Do you think that it's like the fact that you know what's going to happen? And we were both sort of confounded by it, you know, like why you can write these horrible things that you almost can't experience in anyone else's work, but you're fine doing it yourself. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like, you know, when they say kids playing vi- the violent video games and, you know, they're afraid that they're going to try to reenact it. But it's like maybe, you know, that's you, you know the difference between you know, reality and fantasy. So, you know, maybe yeah. maybe it is an outlet to. You know, I like things. to think of it that way, honestly. I mean, I I mean, I, I think of the, the controversy over the games I played when I was a kid and, I, you know, granted, they're not, you know, Grand Theft Auto and stuff, which I love, by mm-hmm. the way. But, um, you know, it was Mortal Kombat. It's the same stuff. You know, it was the same argument, the same the same sort of it's too violent, even back with Double Dragon and stuff like that, yeah. you know. So, I mean, for me, I really feel like, and this might be a horrible territory to get into, so, you know, I, I don't really want to get into a hornet's nest. But the way I like to think about it, and I obviously shield my own kid from it at five, you know, anything that's even remotely remotely scary or violent but you know once you hit a certain age when you're in your teens i think you understand that this is kind of a an imaginative space that um allows you to kind of channel some of that stuff and can actually be quite cathartic and and not just playing gruesome video games but i mean writing stuff that's that's um expressive of your your darkest impulses and stuff like that you know that that's a lot of great art is made out of that stuff, and as, as horrible as that sounds. I mean, for me, like I, I'm only going on that not in the way that it's like you know attacking people and killing people. That's if that's the impulse. I mean, you know, that's that's not a very deep or rich impulse. I mean, it's it's mostly that for something like this Joker story, like we're doing. I mean, like I was telling you, it's it's from a very dark place where it really is this this you know this sense of guilt over in some way wishing and in, in, not that your family didn't exist, but just that you could get some res- refuge from worrying about the kids all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and who would come along and be like, there's an easy solution to that, <laughs> but the Joker. So in that way, I feel like in some ways, I hope that even with things like Batman and some of the darker, more horror driven comic books and you know video games and stuff like that, that I try and assume that, you know, and give, give teenage or, readers i guess more 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 credit you know and just think that this is a place where you go to sort of explore those nightmares and fantasies and all of that stuff because the real world isn't you know in some way and that there's a there's a strong there's just a very strong dichotomy between those things and i know for some people there there isn't you know like the people that really go over the edge but i don't really blame a lot of the time the the popular culture um as much as you know as as sort of of mental illness and 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 more sort of pragmatic things i think or practical aspects of of what went wrong you know along that chain but i hope that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah totally i mean I, I think a lot depends on on the upbringing and the parenting because like you know with my daughter because she you know she got started watching some of the like superhero cartoons and that you know at a young age you know she's nine now and you know at at her at her preschool you know they they had to rule where kids couldn't wear like superhero t-shirts and stuff like that. And the reason is because the boys would always act them out and then end up hurting each other. But she, you know, from the beginning, you know, I guess, you know, she always realized the difference between, you know, reality that this stuff's not real. So even if, you know, heroes are punching each other, that's not something that you do. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing that's kind of haunting this conversation, I think in some way for me, at least is the, 
the stuff that happened in Aurora over the summer because it it happened right when we were we were done with the first couple issues of Joker, um, and you know the the sense of of horror and tragedy around that event with with the um, the guy essentially claiming I'm the Joker or that yeah. kind of thing, and there really did come a, t- a point where you know it gave me a lot of pause. Like, do I want to do a Joker story? And it was already written, you know, the first third of it. Um, but do we want to put this out in the world? And do we want to sort of explore this villain? And the honest truth was that, um, you know, I, at the end of the day, the people that were attacked um, in that tragedy were people that were excited to go see a Batman film on the first night that it was out. They were our people, you know, they were, yeah. they were us. And the way that, it, that, that that person tries to claim ownership of that villain to me, um, does a disservice to what that villain is really about. He's not about going to a movie theater and doing something like that, at least in our interpretation at all. He's really about sort of bringing nightmares to life for Batman himself and this strange, obsessive, pathological and romantic relationship he has with Batman and this odd bromance, essentially. And in that way, we felt that doing the story not doing the story in some way would be a disservice to the people that had lined up for the movie in general, you know, and we thought, I mean, believe me personally, I thought long and hard about it. Like, do we want to put the story off? Um, but the violence in it and the kind of horror and the stuff is so, is so, I guess, uh, directed at Batman in ours. Um, and it's so much about Joker having a very particular ax to grind and a very particular mission that has to do with dismantling or, you know, destroying the Bat family as a way of saying to Bruce, this is what you've always wanted. Um, that it didn't really feel as though we were, we were going into any territory too, that would be particularly sensitive because that, what that person did has no real correlation to who the Joker is, honestly, in my opinion. And, and, you know, you don't give him the, 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 you don't give him the time of day that way of not, doing a story that the people that this kind of stuff happened to would, would have lined up for. Do you know what I mean? I totally. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, whatever reasons, but yeah. And it's like, you don't want to tarnish it for, for everyone else. And so, well, I think at the end of the day, you know, moving past that, so we're not in such, such, you know, grim um, territory. The thing with the, the Joker really is that for me, the reason to celebrate him or explore him in in a story is because he's such he's he's such a, a rich and beloved character in the fact that he challenges Batman himself like nobody else. You know, mm-hmm. he looks at Batman and says, "I know what you're afraid of, and I'm going to make that happen to make you stronger." You know, because I love you. And in that way, he's so endlessly interesting that in, that in a way that doesn't have to do with with thinking about people in the world. You know, he doesn't. He's not interested in people in the world. He's not interested in himself. He's interested more in himself in relation to Batman that we really felt like this would be something that sort of reclaimed the character as well. Yeah. What about Riddler? Anything you can tease about that? <laughs> yeah, man. We're going to be doing a really huge story with Riddler after this. 18, 19, and 20 are going to be sort of our our smaller issues um, dealing with the aftermath of um, the Joker story and other things and um, and then, uh, 20, uh, uh, 18, 19 and 20, and then 21 really begins this huge story. Um, you know, eight to nine issues really that, that has Riddler in a big way at its center, you know? So we're, we're all about Riddler next, uh, in about, you know, 
six months. <laughs> suit or tights? For no reason. suit. He's wearing a green suit. You're going to see him actually in spoiler, but you're going to see him next issue um, in the backup, and then you'll see him, um, you know, not too long after. But we're going back to the, the classic look. I feel like people really call this out for the we were just having fun with that mohawk thing i mean greg and i were just joking around like oh you know what like if he was in prison maybe and he couldn't do any question marks you mm-hmm. know maybe he just like do it in his hair mm-hmm. but um just so people understand that was not a new 52 <laughs> design that was just us kind of playing around so when you see riddler again he's got like the um you know the simple whatever it's called the simple blindfold mask and the bowler hat and the green suit with the with this with the um with the cane. So he's pretty classic, but I think you'll like her interpretation of him. I hope you do. We really do. Cause one of the things that's interesting too, is that a lot of these classic villains or some of them, at least like Riddler, if I asked you what his official origin is, you know, what, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I would, it would be based off the animated series. Well, that's what, that's the same thing. <laughs> like in comics though, I mean, what's his, you know, what's his origin? It's, it's still, it's so fuzzy and the animated mm-hmm. series is 20 years old at this point. Too. Yeah. So I'm I'm just saying, like, people, even internally, there isn't really a strong sense of what the Riddler's, you know, what the Riddler's background is. So for us, we really wanted to kind of reestablish him as one of Batman's greatest villains and why he does what he does and to take the best pieces of his history and kind of knit them together. Um, not what we, not with what we did with Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze was sort of a, I think was the one thing that I still feel a little trepidatious about. I, I should have been more trepidatious about, I think I, I love the way he is now, but I think maybe we were thinking more about how to make him interesting for us in the future than trying to think about, um, what, um, what fans loved about him in the past that we love as well. But we were just trying to sort of move past the stories that have been told. With Riddler, it's a different sort of mindset. It kind of goes off what happened with Mr. Freeze in a way that I think a lot of it is based around, um, for us, a notion of just kind of firming up what people love about the character and making him a more sort of um, a more defined version of that, where he is the smartest guy in the room and he is the guy that has the most amazing mathematical sort of plan based on a riddle that you almost cannot outsmart. You know, he is the villain that challenges batman's intellect like nobody else not like the joker not anybody nobody keeps him sharper than the riddler Hmm. so that's really what this one is about with him interesting because yeah we we haven't really seen him in a new 52 aside from the first issue of batman right yeah yeah no and that wasn't our doing it wasn't like you know put a fence around the riddler because we don't want anyone touching him just he hasn't been used yet you know so i was excited you know a few months ago i was like you know now can we put a fence around him because i have a big (laughs) story for him so you know now, uh, someone asked me a question um, a couple weeks ago about Nightwing and, like, who is his nemesis? Because what they, they brought up is before, it, you could kind of say it was Deathstroke, but mm-hmm. that's not really the case anymore. So, I, I mean, and I, I'm asking you since I, you're, you have nothing to say about it. So just as, like, a fan and as a former writer, I mean, in the New 52, do you think he should have a new nemesis or – should he take like an existing Batman one and like claim ownership to it or no, I think, um, if Kyle wasn't going to kill him off in a couple issues, <laughs> I would say, um, he's right for some new villains, but, um, no, in all seriousness, I mean, I think, you know, his, it's hard because Batman has such, it's such an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the rogues for Batman. Nightwing doesn't really have any. 
Well, I think that's partly because Batman has an Achilles heel in terms of having sort of a pathological streak, and that's very easy to suddenly generate villains out of, meaning the villains are the, at their best are characters that are extensions of the things you're afraid of by yourself, you know? The Joker is like a mirror in that way. He he sees all of that and says that to you. You know, the things you're most afraid of is or his ammunition. But you know, someone like the Riddler is the fear you're not smart enough, you can't you can't um you can't um you can't save the city because you, 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 you're not the smartest guy in the room and two faces sort of the duality of your life gone awry. And, you know, Batman has baggage. That's the point. Bruce has, Bruce has baggage. He has darkness and Dick does not the same way. Dick is surprisingly well adjusted. And so it makes him difficult, I think, to make deep villains for, you know, I mean, I really loved writing James Jr. as an, as a, as a antagonist to him for that reason, because he's devoid of all the things that Dick was, um, dick dick uh dick you know has in spades but um i would just say that i wouldn't go back to the well i mean i can tell you that i know i know what kyle's planning for next year and i think it's terrific you know and he's going to be revisiting some some central villains from the past but also um building some new ones uh and you know um i think there's nothing more rewarding, honestly, than creating a villain for, for these characters that have such rich rogues galleries, even, you know, one's not as rich as Batman. So I'm excited to, to I, I don't want to give away anything, so mm. I'm in a tricky position here, but I can just say that it's going to be a really good year in Nightwing with, with Kyle on board, with Kyle um, helming it. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I think I agree. I, I feel that he almost, if, if he's going to have a character that's considered like his Joker or his nemesis, right. it, it should be a new character. The problem is I can easily see fans having a hard time to accept a, a new villain because like in the, the first year to New 52, you know, we didn't see a lot of the old villains in, in all the right. books. And and it, so it, it felt like from my perspective that, you know, DC was kind of holding back saying, you know, let, let's try some new stuff. And and I just kind of see that like them not being acceptive because readers would be like, you know, who's this? You know, it's like, I want the Joker. I want Two-Face. I want, you know, and so-and-so. So I think that would be a challenge for, for Kyle, you know, for you guys, for writers to say, okay, I need to create a really cool kick-ass villain. And you could do that. But if, if people don't latch onto it, then, you know, it's got to be frustrating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, we had a good experience with it, with the court of owls for us on Batman and Kyle with psycho and, um, how that mystery sort of tied into the court stuff. And, you know, I, again, like I know that, um, he's, uh, he's going to be building some really good stuff in the next year. So I'd just say, you know, keep reading his stuff cause it's, it's going to get better and better. Now. Okay. A question from one of our users from B creature 16. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people, they, they, they come up with these interesting usernames. Um, so this is a question to me, but since you're here, um, he says, how does a Kane family fit into the Bruce Wayne, family tree that's really interesting we're actually going to be exploring that um in the story i was talking about with the riddler so you'll see more you'll see more of that that's definitely one of the things that i've always been like amazed hasn't been more um hasn't hasn't been more sort of excavated in some ways so it's you know stay tuned (laughs) and because in the second question which maybe you can't answer anything too it's like in batman number zero bruce mentions that philip kane is part of his family does that mean Mm -hmm. batman is related to kate kane as well well, I, that wasn't the implication there, but I mean, that's again, a story that I think will be, will be, we have, I will just say that the, the connections between all of the Canes and the Waynes is something that we're all thinking about. And, um, you know, again, I would just say, just keep reading and 
we're going to be sort of digging into at least the, the history of the Kane family itself and the Wayne family in, um, in our next big story. Because that, that, that was the, the biggest one when they first introduced Batwoman. And I was, was like, is she related to Martha? It's like I yeah. never understood that because it was never really addressed. Like when she first appeared, it was, it was Dick that confronted her to say, hey, you know, what are you doing and all this. So it's like there was never really any reaction. And even in the first Batwoman number zero, since there's two of them, mm-hmm. um, when like Batman's kind of like being a stalker and like watching over her. <laughs> yeah. it, it's like there's never any like acknowledgement or anything that that they they've you know there's some connection there so yeah no it's one of the fun mysteries of that character you know so i would just say that also that that's a story that you know or that's sort of an area that we would be exploring with jh and making sure that the books coordinate well and and everything like that but you know those those are questions just to readers out there like these aren't things that we sort of don't have in our minds to you know as but the the issue is essentially if we are going to explore them to make sure that the story we have in exploring them will honor the the richness of the mystery as it stood so far. Mm-hmm. Like Philip Kane, for example, I made a deliberate choice to use Philip's name because I do have something sort of in mind for him. But it's after like a long and hard sort of deliberation about all the things he could be and 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 what um, what part he could play in the history of the Wayne family and the Kane family too. So. You know, these are not decisions or stories that we do lightly is all I mean. So it's not that we don't think about them. And, and you know, these aren't mysteries that we have in the front of our brains all the time. It's just that they're, we're very hesitant to get into them until we're absolutely sure we, we have a story that will explore them, you know, with the kind of dignity they deserve. Well, I, I mean, I'm so extremely thankful that you've used Philip from, from that one panel, that one <laughs> Secret Origins, whatever comic was, where – you see the mysterious voice saying, I know don't, the forget voice. To, don't forget to say your, your prayers. Your prayers. And he's I like, remember. yes, uncle Philip. I was like, I was like, who's uncle Philip? Is this like, you know, fresh Prince of Bel Air? It's like, who is this guy? And, and there was like, like, he looks total doofus. Well, like, there was like nothing. It was, you don't, you don't, you just see it. Was, I think it was just like a shadow. I don't, or silhouette if, if even that. So it's like, I always wondered ever since then, cause I think that that was in the eighties when that, that issue came out. So I was like, who is this guy and what's his relation and because, you know, I, I thought about it is it's like who who raised Bruce? Because in the original Golden Age comics, um, Alfred didn't show up until after Robin was or Dick was already Bruce's ward and he just comes in. So then it, it raised a question. It's like who you know, what happened to Bruce after his parents were killed? Because the way it is now, I think that it was Alfred that, that raised him. Has that been firmly established or? Yeah, well, I mean, it's again, I don't want to, I don't want to overstep, but this is the kind of material that we're going to be getting into soon. Okay. You know, like, was there, were there relatives that stepped up to say, you know, maybe, maybe we should have a hand in raising this boy and not just as the butler. You yeah. Know? But, um, that is, it is, it is like a mystery that's been on the table for so long and something that we really want to explore coming up. Cause I, cause I also remember there's, there's another panel, um, where, there's like a social worker like, and, and Alfred's like talking, you know, cutting her a check or something like that. And then I think it was Bruce, you know, young little Bruce throwing his, his file into the fire. So it's like they paid off the social worker so he could live with the butler. And so I, I was, remember that too. I was yeah. just like, so weird. It's like, what's going And And so it, it just brings up what you mentioned about the, the Riddler. It's like all these characters and, and, you know, maybe it's just, you know, the way they were introduced in the golden age is like, <laughs> 
they were just kind of thrown out there and, and no one had a definitive origin. And it's like, it, it's, it's mind boggling that no one ever really questioned this. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, they're, they're, they become very sacred as much as they're thrown out there. You know, there's only going to be, you can only do a story w- w- about uncle Philip or whether or not there's a connection between Kate Kane and the Kane family, you know, one time, but not, I'm sure you can retcon it, you know, years down the line, <laughs> but I mean, you know what I'm, that, that those are, those are things that are, are just very intimidating material and very sacred material. So I agree with you hundred percent that, that, um, even though, you know, some of the references to character like Philip, um, are so minor and so quick, you know, mm-hmm. that, that the, the possibility of, of what he, what he would, what his existence means and what his involvement in Bruce's life means is humongous, you know, and, and just, you know, could cast an incredible sh- shadow over the mythology. So these are all things, again, that we're, we're going to be touching on in different ways or we're thinking about a lot and, you know, without giving anything away, I would just say to keep reading. Cool. Do you have any, um, any thoughts or comments on Martha being part of the Arkham family and Earth One? Oh, I love that. I, I actually texted Jeff just to tell him how much I loved that one bit. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, I wish this was continuity in some way, that there was some connection between the Arkham family and the Canes. Or the, well, there could the be. If, there could be. You never you know. You can do whatever, pretty much what you want. <laughs> I know. As the evil head Batman writer, right? Yeah. I, I do have to say, I'm I'm... <laughs> What bothered me about Batman Earth One was the mask that you could see his eyes. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that of Gary Frank in that one. I, yeah. I thought it made him it humanized him, but I understand what you're saying. You get used to seeing. I that bothered me actually in the Arkham. As much as I I love the Arkham City and Arkham Asylum games, that was the only thing with that that I bought. It bothered me seeing his eyes in that. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of weird. Yeah. All right, I know your your time is up with this well pretty soon yeah i have a couple maybe a couple more questions then i gotta run all right superman um i know there's not much you can say about that uh what what story arcs kind of stand out just or what are your like some of your favorites not necessarily implying that they're influencing what you're going to be doing but no they do i mean there's there's my favorites it's the same with batman i mean my favorites are the ones that really sort of push the character to a territory where i think he's he's sort of you know um he's afraid of what he could become, I guess, in some ways, you know, and, and, and challenges the stories that challenge kind of the, the core aspects of what make him heroic. I mean, those are the things I love the stories that the stories that I love the most are the ones that essentially take the things that are heroic about a character and make that character can believe that maybe those things are weaknesses. So for example, Batman's confident, Bruce's confidence about knowing the city well, that, that is heroic, that he strives to know a city that you can't know everything about. Well, actually, let's turn it into a weakness. Batman's accumulated a family. or Bruce has all of these people he cares about. That's a strength. It's something heroic, something to be admired. You know, the fact that he's opening up, you know, emotionally. Well, let's make it into a weakness and have the Joker say, no, it is. And now you have about seven Achilles heels, you know, so let's attack it. So that, th- those kinds of stories for Superman, you know, without the same kind of I guess literal horror, but the psychological and emotional horror that you you find in a story where a character is challenged in that regard are my favorites from the obvious ones. I think like, um, uh, birthright Mark is probably my favorite in continuity story. Pretty much. Um, a lot of Jeff John stuff. I really adore, um, from last son up, up and away secret origin brainiac, all that kind of stuff. But 
I guess my um, my all star is my very favorite of all time, the Grant Morrison. But um, I would probably put it as you know, all star Superman. What's so funny about Truth, Justice, and the American Way? Um, Red Sun is another real favorite by Mark Millar, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Dark Knight Returns. So the DNA really comes probably from those four more than anything else for ours, where the challenge that we're going to pit Superman against is going to shake him to his core, where the story really is about restraint. And the thing that I find so heroic and amazing about Superman is that in some ways he doesn't affect the world in the way that he could, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, shape countries and, and get involved in sort of, um, ideological struggles between, between nations even though he could easily pick a side and do that. And by not doing that, I think there's a sort of an, an incredible sense of both restraint and admiration and respect for the human race. And at the same time, a vulnerability in that anyone who believes that their country is doing the right thing could accuse him essentially of being um, uninvolved and being alien and being apathetic and, and not, not um, taking the kind of hard choices needed to be human, you know? Mm-hmm. So in that way, that's really at the core of our story. Um, and it's going to be a new villain, someone you haven't seen, mm-hmm. but you will see Lex in it in a big way. And Lana and Lois and Bruce has a, actually quite a, <laughs> in a good part in it too, Bruce Wayne and um, Diana does too. So, you know, we're, we're pulling out all the stops. We really want this to be like, if we never get a chance to do another Superman story or if I don't like, this is the Superman story I would tell. Great. Did you ever read um, Godfall? Yes, I did actually. Yeah, I I really like that, and also I would say that the the um, <laughs> you know, like the Hitman. I think it was number thirty four, the Superman one. I love that one too. There there's a bunch of stuff like kind of thrown in to this thing. I think in some ways, but you know, with these characters that are so iconic, you have to kind of believe that you're um, you're uh, you're you're making them up in your your version you know that it's completely your own because mm-hmm. otherwise i feel like it becomes paralyzingly um it becomes just paralyzingly intimidating to to write them because it's you're just so um aware all the time i think of of uh how much they mean to not just you but kind of everyone around you like for me i mean my kid wears like superman stuff you know and mm-hmm. batman stuff and you see that and it just becomes impossible to kind of um write them <laughs> How are we doing on time? I should probably take off in like one minute. So maybe one last question. Um, <laughs> um could, could what do you think about about Batman having a, a love interest? Because you know we're mm-hmm. we're seeing that in the Dark Knight comic. Yeah. Well, I'm all for it in in other books. I'm just not particularly interested in it myself. I guess so much. If that makes any sense. I mean, do you think it should be a civilian or should it be? You know, like a Catwoman. You know, someone well, who's Catwoman in the business. Is, I don't know. I mean, to me, Catwoman is the is kind of the one that tempts him more than anyone. And she actually, that's part of the the reason that she she's in the Joker story, is because I I do think that there's kind of a heartstring attached to her in some way. But in terms of like a civilian and Batman settling down and all of that kind of stuff, I mean, or Bruce settling down. To me, um, I wouldn't. And this is not knocking anyone that does serious. Maybe someone will tell this story and I will love it. Um, so this is not, and you know, this is not like don't do this story. 
but just in terms of my own my own kind of um interests and in, with Bruce I mean the thing one of the things that fascinates me about him is that he resists all of the things that make you sort of well adjusted or or grow up or any of that that he's constantly obsessed with this one mission and it's like imagining the kind of character in Shane or in any of those kind of great westerns settle down and have kids you just don't want to see it <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. I don't really want to see Bruce Wayne settled and married with kids i want to see bruce wayne the way you see him in batman beyond where he's old and alone <laughs> and still obsessed and angry and crotchety or you know the same with dark knight returns when you see those future versions of bruce and bruce is still as sort of driven you know as batman as he was as a young man to me there's something tragic and noble and fascinating about that do you know what i mean that he he cannot get away from the bat no matter what he does. He he can't leave it alone and get married and have kids and just forget that he was ever Batman, you know, or at least put it behind him. Yeah. And to me, that's that's the, both the heroism and the pathology of Bruce Wayne. It's always fascinating. You right. know, it's it's not just in the old age, but now, like right now, you know, Bruce, that's it's that intersection of of heroism and self-destructive, obsessive um, you know, mission that, that makes him the greatest hero. Cause to me, because he's only human, but to be, to, to be the greatest hero, the way he is, he has to sacrifice everything that could, could make him happy in the long run. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And in doing that, there's something noble and heroic and incredibly inspirational about that because he stands next to Superman as the greatest hero. He stands next to these gods and he's one of us, you know? And they look to him for advice. But to, to be that person, you have to sacrifice so much that you border on this real pathology. And that, 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 um, that mixture of, I think, heroism and, and, and yeah, and, and sort of twisted, obsessive um, kind of pathological impulse is what makes him so human and wonderful, you know, and so admirable. I just, that's, that really is the, the place where all of, to me, that's the most interesting, I think, in Bruce, you know. All right. Last question. Um, speaking of Batman Beyond, thoughts on, on Bruce and Barbara? And Bruce and Barbara, Barbara Gordon? Yeah. You mean just in general? Yeah, because wasn't, wasn't that kind of hinted that there was something? Am well, I... You mean just there where in, in Beyond itself where she's the commissioner? And, but there, and, I, I thought it was yeah, hinted that there... But I mean, it's hard to say because that's so different than our continuity where... I guess not anymore because she's walking there and she's walking here. But, but the, for there a long are... time, I thought of it as so separate because she was Oracle in the comics and there she was, you know, Commissioner Gordon, essentially. But there was but, a, um, a hint that they had like a relationship or something. Yeah, I don't... I mean, it was... I, I love everything in that series. It's one of my favorite like pieces of literature in the world. Um but um, I think there are things that sort of are fun to keep separate <laughs> that way. And for me, the Barbara of of the Bat world as it stands right now in comics is someone that, that he feels incredibly protective of the same way I think Commissioner Gordon would feel protective of someone like Robin. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not – there isn't that same I – don't, I don't see it as – I don't see that as a viable possibility, okay. the two of them having a relationship. I really do see him as a, purely like a, a father figure to, to all of those characters. Okay, thank you. Because <laughs> that was something I always. Stri- I was like, I don't know about that. Mm, no, it it strikes me as a, as a little a little strange, but you know, it's the future. Nothing so against beyond. Beyond is a masterpiece. Yeah. All right, Scott. I know you got to run, so th- we definitely got to do. I want to talk to you about like Swamp Thing and the Wake and <laughs> and it's, yeah. So we'll have to. There's do this more again. Thursdays. We'll do it another time. Yeah, we'll <laughs> definitely do this. All right, thank you Great. so much. Um, we'll definitely 
do this again. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Tony. And uh, thanks to everyone that, um, at Comic Vine. And you guys have been supportive from the very beginning. We all love you from Team Batman and Gotham. And um, for everyone reading the book, I just want to say thanks. You know, From all of us, it really means the world. You guys have been so supportive on these crazy stories we're doing. All right. Thanks a lot. Sure. All right. So that was our Scott Snyder portion. So unfortunately, he cannot stay, stick around for the rest but you get me. There is more. There's more questions. So I'm going to try to answer your questions. We touched on, on one um, with, with Scott. So the next question. So again, just to explain this for, for those listening for possibly the first time. This is the portion where I take questions from the Comic Vine community. So I take them. There's a Ask G-Man video question thread on a, the general discussion forums. And this used to be a video. I used to do a Ask and Ye Shall Receive answers video which i'm still doing those um i'm limiting those to like one question a week per video the videos used to be like 40 to 50 minutes long and it took a long time to edit and then export and then send to our our you know video player stuff and all that so um answering them this way on a podcast is just uh, like a, a million times easier almost a million times easier for me so I will still answer your questions. So you can ask there. You can also ask me on Twitter. So at Gman from Heck, that's my my Twitter name. Um, do the hashtag Ask Gman. So A S K G M A N. Had to think about that for a second. Um, and we'll get your answers. Your 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 answers questioned. Your questions answered. So the first one that we're going to talk touch on today is Nomadic X Nightmare. So he. Um, Unfortunately, he says, thanks for continuing with the Ask G-Man videos. So they've become a favorite part of my week. But now, hopefully, you're, well, I am still doing them. So, so you're welcome. Um, but we're also, so now you get extra. You get video and podcast. So the first question is, have you heard any information about possible cast selection for the Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Who do you think would be actors play Star-Lord, Gamora, etc.? Um, so this was posted, um, so by the time this goes live, so I, again, I'm, Got to do my, my time travel math. So this was actually six weeks ago when this was asked. Um, at, at that point, um, there's no information. There's nothing. And I was actually just talking about that this morning, you know, as far as the movie with like Guardians and even like like Justice League. It's like there really hasn't been any casting news and they need to get, get going on these because I, I know they don't want to you know rush them. But when you have all the special effects and stuff, I, maybe it's it's easier these days because – they do most of the stuff in post production, so they, may, they can have various teams or whatever working on different things, and they just need to get the the live action footage and just insert it. With Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean that's that's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, uh, I as, as much as I'm looking forward to it, I just wonder how the general public's going to take it. I can see them accepting, you know. Captain America, Iron Man, Avengers, and even you know Thor might have been kind of pushing it a little bit because you know the, the fantasy elements, but they embraced it all. I just wonder how they're going to be with a sci-fi comic book movie because you know even though you have stuff like Prometheus and you know uh, apart from like Star Wars, it's like what are the other big sci-fi franchises? You, know, you got Star Trek, but you know, and even like the, like the, the the recent Star Trek, you know, people enjoyed that. I don't, you, you can't put that on like Avengers level status. So you know, re- despite you know, regardless how, how how much everyone liked it, so I, I'm just curious how Guardians of the Galaxy, where you got these characters that no one knows. 
I mean, at least with the Avengers, you know, you have Iron Man who's in a bunch of movies. And people might have known who Iron Man was before, or Captain America. You know, they, they would recognize some of these characters from, from past um, animated series or, you know, anything like that. With Guardians of the Galaxies, Galaxies? Guardians of the Galaxy, there's not a lot that, that they might know. You know, they, they were on Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, but it's I'm just really curious how, how it's, it's going to go over. Um, Nomadic X Nightmare says, personally, I think Vin Diesel was born to play Drax. His Annihilation incarnation screamed Riddick. Um, that would be, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big Vin Diesel fan. Um, don't ask me why. I'm not really sure, but I, I think that could be interesting. Would he want to, are they going to go with the green body paint? Is that something he'd want to do? Um, I don't know about his voice for Drax. Would, would he have to be dubbed? Would he be okay with being dubbed? So that would be interesting. But yeah, you definitely need someone big like that. Although I, I, I remember having this discussion before. I don't know how tall Vin Diesel is. Because um, I, I, I pictured Drax you know, being a little taller than, than the average you know, team member. So and that could be interesting. Second question. Um, but other than that, it's like I have no idea. And I don't know who I'd want to play Star-Lord. So there's, that's a tricky part. It's like for Star-Lord Gamora, you, know, you could pretty much get anyone. And I don't mean that as an insult to actors at all. But you know you can it, you might be better off getting the unknown actors to go in there and do that but because these are unknown characters and by unknown i mean with the the general populace people who aren't reading comics like we are you might need you know some big names t- to draw people and you know to go see this movie so that's that's going to be tricky I, I have no idea and i always have a hard time with with the casting questions because you know i don't know because you always think about the actor in their, their last big role and with these you know comic book adaptations you need the right person because that that can make or break the way it works uh the second question is do you think the constant hero versus hero stories and big crossovers marvel in particular but dc also are the result of a lack of exceptional villains with a few notable exceptions batman spider-man um, in my opinion, there never seems to be enough well-conceived and challenging villains for heroes to face. Some books I really have a hard time reading because of the rogues gallery are so lackluster, overused, or not challenging enough. Superman, Daredevil. Others are actually good villains end up becoming so popular that writers reform them and become their um, heroes, anti-heroes like Magneto and Venom, defeating their original purpose. What do you think it would take for writers to start creating new legitimate memorable villains and get the heroes back to fighting worthy bad guys? So that's kind of what I um what I touched on with with Scott Snyder about Nightwing, you know, who is his his main villain? He doesn't really have any. And when I did the video, the ask video, so this would have been 2 weeks, 1 week ago. I'm I'm confused. That's time travel stuff again. Uh you know, I I looked at at his villains page here on comic vine. And I was like, there's really no one that sticks out. You know, he, he has the Batman villains, you know, Joker's as a villain, two faces, one of his villains, but those are just because he was Robin and he was with, with Batman. He doesn't have a lot of his own pure villains and the ones that he, he does have, none of them really stick out, you know, in your mind. None of them are, are really like, this is a really awesome, you know, villain that I want to see Nightwing fight all the time. So that's kind of the problem. You want to, you know, you want to see new villains, but it really depends on how they're accepted and, you know, 
and I, I guess also you know how how they're they're written. Uh, a writer could create a really cool character, a really cool villain, but if if people don't kind of like latch onto it and accept it and embrace, then it might not seem worth bringing them back. So, but that's something that we we, we need. It, it's tricky because you want to see the popular, the familiar villains, but when you think even like with Superman, like his villains, like you know Metallo, yeah, he okay, he's all right. You know, Toy Man, um, you know, Parasite. Even like the, some of Superman's familiar villains, to me, they're just like, uh, I don't know. So that's that's a tough one. So I guess it's good I'm not writing comics right now. All right, not a random guy says, "Hey, G man, awesome videos. Always um, thanks for answering questions. Just read the original Ghost Rider series, or more like the first Johnny Blaze series. I have some questions. Who do you dig as Ghost Rider? Um, so I'm going to go against like the, the the popular answer. My favorite is is Dan Ketch." Um, Something about Johnny Blaze. So when I first started reading comics, I don't think the original Ghost Rider. I think that that the Johnny Blaze series was before my time. Either it was before my time, or it just wasn't on my radar. So I knew who he was, and you know there was the occasional like you know Marvel team up or whatever where he'd have an appearance, but I didn't really read a lot of of the original Ghost Rider stories. And part of it, I don't know if it was just like you know he was a whatever circus acrobat stuntman dude daredevil guy you know there's something that just never really appealed to me but then and it was in the 90s when they they brought dan back so i think for me that that was really like my first pure experience with him so it's like he was my ghostwriter because that that's one that you know i started reading that series because it was out and i just started following it and then of course you know he appeared in pretty much like every single comic or you know around crossovers guest appearances so i'd have to go go with 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 dan um not a random guy says was alejandra a good ghost writer honestly i never really gave her a, a chance you know sad to say i i read like the the first issue i mean i have the issues in they're in our office in one of our comic boxes but there's just something i don't really know what it was Something just didn't didn't something didn't scream for me to you know put that at the top of my reading list. So it always got pushed at the bottom. Then the next week would come, you know, be more comics and more comics. So it just and then you know you get two or three issues behind, and you're like, well, you know, I'll, I'll read it, you know, later. And it just it never happened. And then it's like, okay, the series is getting canceled. So it's like, should I bother reading it now? So I I don't know if she was good. I, I like the idea of a female ghostwriter, you know, mixing things up and. It's 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 too bad that it, it didn't last because you know Marvel needs you know the the good female characters. Who? Why do you think the Avengers have never taken on Blackheart? They just don't really seem to go the supernatural route. Just like with a uh, Punisher War Zone, where you know the discussion we had on the other podcast was about like you know the Avengers don't deal with street level villains. They don't deal with with um supernatural stuff either. So. I'm sure that there's been, you know, with uh, Damon Hellstrom or whatever, there's been some stuff, uh, Master Pandemonium, but um, it, it's just, it's not really their, their cup of tea, even with like Doctor Strange. So it's just, that's not what they do for, for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe they're, they're scared that, you know, they don't want to deal with them. Uh, a crossover between Avengers and Defenders happens. Who do you think they should face? An uh, alliance of Blackheart, Mephisto, Dormammu, Lilith would be good. Uh, 
well, with I don't know if if you wrote this in the hopes that this would happen, but you know the Defender series is gone, so those characters are going to be like all scattered. Um, it would be it would be tough. I I don't know, and and that was I, I'm going to be honest with the Defender series. I enjoyed it, you know, because Matt, Matt Fraction was writing. But there's something about that book, and I think I mentioned this before, something that just didn't work for me. And I liked a lot of the characters. You know, I really like Red She-Hulk and, you know, I like Doctor Strange and Iron Fist. But there was something about it that I just didn't read it right away. So, and Avengers, Defenders crossover, that would be a lot of characters. I mean, that might be too much. Who do you think would be an awesome ghostwriter or an unexpected as a spirit of vengeance. So if someone else got it, um, you need someone that's going to be committed. That's going to want to someone that has a little bit of anger in them. So like normally, I guess I would say not now, but before like, like wonder man, he had a lot of anger. I mean, he attacked the Avengers and so he seems like he'd want to do it, but now I guess he's going to be a pacifist and uncanny Avengers. Um, Who's who's angry? I'm trying to think. Um, what about like a mutant? Um, not Wolverine because Wolverine's got enough to do. Um, hmm. Don't want to say Hope Summers because I don't think she's that angry anymore. But you need someone. What about like Cyclops? Just put it over the edge. I mean, he's if he had his powers and then the power to Ghost Rider, and he'd be focus on attacking all evil humans. So let's just say that that would be crazy. That would definitely be unexpected. And I think the internet would break in half when people would be complaining about that. What do you think would happen if the Punisher gets the power of vengeance? So that's, that's a good one. That, that would be, he would go overboard. He would never have to sleep. He would just keep doing it until he wiped out everyone. And then he'd probably start going after people who weren't so bad. So I, I think that would be a bad thing. Um, random questions. Have you ever seen a, um, Kamen Rider series as a common Rider series or read a volume? So I'm familiar with the, the character, uh, kind of funny side stories. Um, at New York comic con, um, Peter Nguyen had to do a, a commission of the character and, and, you know, he knew the character, but he wasn't like overly familiar, I think. And he only had like a, a black and white scan of the character, but he did, he did a good job. I, I posted that on one of the awesome art picks. But um, I've never watched any of the, the series. So I, I know who, who he is. I remember seeing like commercials when it came out. I think like Fox aired it on like Saturday mornings or weekdays or something like that. So I don't know. Um, what do you guys think? Is it something I should check out sometime? I don't know. Is Arrow worth watching? That's something that needs to be discussed more in depth. So by the time this goes out, I don't know if, if we've done that or not. But Sarah and I have been meaning to to just have more discussions about it there's some good things about the show there's some things that bother me um i definitely say it's it's worth watching because we don't really have any any comic book shows on tv and and you know one we need to support them and two it's not a horrible series i mean there's definitely lots of good things to it so you know until the shield tv show comes out this is all we have unless i'm totally forgetting something but it's it's good some of the acting sometimes gets a little difficult to watch but it's an enjoyable series, so you should definitely check it out. What are your thoughts on the Shield TV show? That's going to be tricky. I'm I'm curious, like what kind of threats are they going to take on? You know, doing a whole espionage that could be be cool. You know, they could even do a little bit of like kind of like an alias. You know, sexy it up a little bit, or just have you know some infiltration undercover, um, under the covers. 
Um, but because it's in the Marvel universe, are they going to take advantage of all the threats? Like, are you going to have like Batroc the Leaper, you know, running or jumping around, I should say, leaping around? Um, you know, could like the abomination show up somewhere and, you know, here's a threat in downtown Manhattan. We got to go, you know, deal with this. Or are they just going to be dealing with like Hydra and, you know, evil spies and, you know, under, you know, I don't know. So it, I'm, I'm really curious to see what we get out of this. Uh, which one did you like most immortal iron fist or the last moon Knight series? I'd have to go with immortal iron fist. I mean, that was really something, um, last moon Knight series. I'm, I'm always on the fence with, with, um, Alex Maleev's artwork. You know, a lot of times I like it, but there's a couple times where it just doesn't work for me. And I didn't like how he really played up the crazy angle because he wasn't, always like super crazy like that and it was just kind of weird the whole thing you know the different fighting styles he did so i i did enjoy it but there's there's things i didn't like and i I really like moon knight so i think that that's why i'm a little picky with that but immortal iron fist that was great you know i'm a huge fan of of matt fraction david aja and you know ed brubaker also was was on there so good stuff um b creature 16 be creatures 16 we've recently seen a, a wonder woman crossover in batwoman which other female superheroes villains do you want to see team up or fight against batwoman um i'm trying to think so i think we did have batwoman and batgirl because you know that was the the big question i had before new 52 started you know we got these two red-headed bat creatures you know super net creatures superheroes um but as far as let's see if we're talking about batwoman um I, I kind of want to say like Huntress, but I don't really know. I guess it just depends on, on how she develops because I'm, I'm not completely on board with World's Finest, which I, I think goes without saying. Um, but aside from Wonder Woman, you know, what other female characters, you know, what, what I want to do is I want to see Batwoman go up against Harley Quinn. You know, how is she going to deal with, with that kind of crazy? So... I don't know. Um, do you think we'll see another anti-hero book on the caliber of Secret Six? What are the chances of Scandal Savage coming to the New Fifty Two? Uh, we we don't have. I mean, I guess so we have Deathstroke book and we have Deathstroke in Team Seven, um, but we don't really have a lot of villain books, and, and that's always the the, tr- the tricky sell is you know trying to write anti-hero. And I mean, I shouldn't say villains because you know Secret Six weren't weren't heroes, but anti-heroes. You know that you have to be careful with that because there's only so much I think people will accept, and then the idea kind of gets a little little redundant. So um, it's surprising that we don't have Secret Six because I'm not sure what the sales were, but you know there's a lot of people that I, I always hear is like, "Oh, I wish Secret Six was was still there." So you know maybe that's something else that they're they're saving. You know they're going to let the new Fifty Two universe you know build up a little bit, and then they'll say, "Okay, now's the time." to bring in secret six because you know i don't think any of the characters or teams that are are not present i don't think they're just gonna say you know we're never gonna use these characters again i think they will pop up same thing with like scandal savage i think at some point you know we'll we'll see more or we'll we'll actually see her so i guess it's just unfortunately a matter of waiting spider mac 17 says word g man i'm really enjoying the arrow series and since it's being filmed in Vancouver, where he's from. 
it got me thinking, what heroes would you put in certain cities, Marvel or DC? Like, would you have all of the Marvel characters based in New York? Because really, what are the odds of that? What hero would you want in your city? I think it's important to take into account costume choice. For example, Green Arrow would be a good choice for Vancouver since he wears leather and it rains a lot here. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Um, you know, it would be cool in, as, as I walk from the ferry building to the, the CBS interactive office, it would be cool to see like Spider-Man swinging around from, you know, building to building. It's not a lot of super duper tall buildings, but there, there's some, you just have to look up. And, you know, I'm also curious if he was like swinging around the top, you know, is that something that you notice? Cause I can tell you right now when I walk a lot, I'm, I'm not looking up and, you know, I just wonder if you know, he could swing by and you w- wouldn't even we realize it because it's not like, you know, you necessarily see a shadow because it's overcast a lot of times. So maybe San Francisco wouldn't be good for Spider-Man because of sometimes it gets a little chilly. And if he's just wearing spandex, although it gets cold in, in New York. So I don't know. And I, I mean, since we, we have the Bay and everything, it's like, what about like Aquaman? You know, would 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 he be a good choice? I, the the water's cold here, but he can handle that. Uh, someone like Moon Knight could be interesting, you know. But I I do have to say, as much as like Moon Knight, the idea of you know the white silver costume, it's kind of an interesting choice. Um, and of course, you know who doesn't want to see like the Batmobile driving down the, the streets? You know that that would be pretty cool. Although I do have to wonder, you know, when I when I take the cabs across town. That would be really insane if, if the Batmobile is like speeding along because the cab drivers speed along. It's I worry sometimes when I take those cab rides. So that that would be pretty cool to see some of that. And as far as Batman, you know, I guess you'd have to be out at night to to see him. And I don't think you'd necessarily want to see Batman because if you see Batman, that probably means you're seeing one of his crazy villains, and that's the last thing you'd want to see. Mister Fuzzy Nuts. He says, hey, G-Money, a few questions. Um, With the Marvel Now books versus New 52, how do you feel about them making these changes to established characters? And now that the move has been made, which company is doing a better job in transition? Okay, so uh, two different things pretty much. I mean, Marvel Now, I mean, let's go. New 52 was basically relaunching the universe. Some characters did, did stay the same. You know, they just carried over. Lots of other ones they're basically getting tweaks. They're not getting whole new origins, but you know some characters have been de-aged, you know, encounters haven't happened, certain events haven't happened. So New 52, even though they don't want to call it a reboot, it, it kind of was. It was almost like it was starting over. You know, We're still trying to figure out what has happened, what hasn't happened. In Marvel now, that's not really the case. It's, it's, things are continuing as, as normal. Nothing has changed. Nothing's being re- restarted. But the only difference is we're seeing different creative teams. So, you know, like, like Fantastic Four, instead of Hickman writing it, it's Matt Fraction. And if you read Fantastic Four, number one, you know, I mean, it acknowledges a lot of, of the, the concepts, you know, the Future Foundation. You see all, all the characters there. You see the costumes. So it's not like they're saying, let's just ignore all that. Let's just start over. They may go in a new direction. You know, we're, we're seeing Fantastic Four, they're going to go off and, you know, they're they're getting replacements. You know, that's where... The characters in FF with Ant-Man, She-Hulk, um, Medusa, and Miss Thing. That's where you know they're going to come in. 
but it's not just like restarting everything over. It's not like, okay, here's a character for the first time. Here's the first time they fought this person. So um, that's almost a way to do it. If, if you can do it, have a good jumping on point, that's, that's the key. If you're going to make a number one, someone needs to be able to come in and read it and understand what's going on. You take X-Men Legacy. That was a very odd number one um, issue because, you know, there's not even any X-Men. Well, there were some X-Men towards the end. But, you know, you got this book with Legion, character that I'm not particularly crazy about. But when you just start reading it, you're like, what the heck is going on? Who are all these characters? And then, you know, as you read some more, you kind of figure out what, what was happening. That was an odd choice. But on the other hand, if that was like the first time, you know, you're reading it, you kind of figure out what's going on by the end. But yeah, so I, I think what Marvel is doing, as long as they're, they're consistent with this, they're not going to ignore the past, but they're going to make it so if you didn't read the last year, five years, 10 years, you'll be okay. Uh, second question. Speaking on New 52, it seems they're making an effort to mix in some Wildstorm characters. So that got me thinking, any word on addition of Milestone characters? With Static Shock and addition of Icon and Rocket on Young Justice, it seems there could be some hardware shadow cabinet appearances soon. Um, That's the big question is what is – and I'm not sure if there's been an official statement on this. But there's there's question over the relationship between DC and Milestone. You know, is is there a a problem with, with that? Because some people are are saying that that's why there was d- delays with um with young justice is you know that there might be something with the rights about them so i don't don't know um you know we, we did have static shock, and I believe unless there's something else that it was sales that you know and resulted in that that getting canceled. So it would be good to see those characters, you know, for the fans that, you know, want or like, where are these characters at? And, you know, this is a time when you can introduce them. But one, it'd be a question of, you know, were, are people going to accept them? Are people going to care? Because, you know, a lot of the new wave books that we get are these, these new random characters. And then it seems like as much as people complain, you know, what are people buying? They're buying the Batman books. They're buying the Bat character books. You know, they're, they're buying Superman, Justice League. They're buying the characters that, that are known. Um, Sword of Sorcery, I wonder how that's going to do. So that, that's going to be an interesting thing. So if you bring in hardware, who a lot of the readers today, especially if there's a lot of new readers, they might not know who that is. But that might not matter. You could introduce the character in a way where, hey, check out this new character. You don't know anything about comics or you haven't been reading. Check this out. You might like it. So it just depends on if there is an issue with, with rights and, and, you know, control over that third question, please help me with this. I know it's been asked before, but I need to know it's driving me nuts. Is Avengers assembled part of the current continuity? If not, no biggie. It was a fun read, but if it is, how the funk did star Lord escape and Richard Ryder is being replaced by Sam? Um, stay frosty, my brother. So yeah, Bendis is, is pretty much said that it is in continuity. I, Got the first couple issues because I was like, oh, Bendis and Bag- Bagley's cool. I'll, I'll check this out. But then I ended up not reading it. And it's, I was like, this can't be in continuity. You know, there's like, you know, Thanos coming in. It's like, what's, what's going on? And, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. So that is is the question. Um, if you read the recent point one issue and, you know, we know there's a, 
uh, Guardians of the Galaxy series coming out. So yeah, Star Lord is there. the The story in point one was basically a flashback to when he was a kid. I have no idea. Um, as far as is Sam Alexander as Nova, we don't know anything about that either. Because what he mentioned, Avengers versus X Men, that you know he's actually saved the universe a couple times, but people just aren't aware of it. So it's like, yeah, where did he come from? He's a kid. He even mentioned about having the you know the go report home to his mom or something like that. So I guess we'll find out once um, Guardians of the Galaxy series starts because I have no idea. Crimson Lord 53 says, has there been any news on the Witchblade movie? I have not heard a single thing. So this is something that's been going on for a while. I'm not sure what the holdup is. I don't know if it's a matter of, of casting or scripts or just selling it to the studio. What studio? I, I don't know, but um, there was that TV show. I didn't watch it, I, I, so I can't really comment on that. But you would think with, with all the comic book movies that say, hey, Witchblade, it's it's a woman. She's not wearing a lot. People might, although, you know, that, that could be a detractor for some because I think some people will be like, I don't know if I want to go see this movie. Or, you know, they, they can't take the girlfriend to see the movie. The girlfriend, not that that there's anything wrong. I mean, uh, Witchblade is a strong female character, especially when Ron Mars was, was writing her. But when you look at how she was drawn, especially in the early issues, you know, that could be a turnoff for some some people who are like, I don't know if I want to see this movie. And, you know, female um, viewers who are not familiar with the character might not want to see it if it's just a bunch of, you know, TNA and, and metal. But hopefully it does happen. Hopefully they do a great job with it and don't go that route. Uh, Matt Wing 87, which of Nightwing's costume is your favorite? Black and red, black and blue, brown and red, or the hippie mullet disco suit? I do like the, the disco suit. Not as my favorite, but just out of nostalgia, as you know, from my favorite Teen Titan era. Um, so black and red. So let's see with that. It's growing on me. It's definitely growing on me. It is still weird, but I think just, you know, the classic black and blue, that's what we're all used to. Um, brown and red, that was interesting as well, but I'm, I'm going to go with, with black and blue and then maybe hippie mullet disco. Well, not so much of the, the mullet. He doesn't really need that, but the, the disco with like the collar, that, that was good. Um, Volshock says, are you guys reading Batwoman? We are. Have you tried reading the issues together? It really makes it easier to follow. And it was a huge improvement reading it, the issue back to back. It's not something I have tried. Um, maybe I should pick up the trades. Um, I am enjoying the series. Um, th- there's been some times where it's just been, all right, you know, that, that was okay. So, but yeah, maybe, you know, reading them again together. Cause you know, a lot of times that happens where you, you read them together like that and it does enhance the, the experience. So I'll have to definitely try that. Um, Mesmero, which stranger do you think is strangest? The Phantom Stranger from DC or the Stranger from Marvel? Um, maybe the Stranger from Marvel. But the Phantom Stranger, my big question is again, how the heck did he end up in the Phantom Zone? And, you know, the whole thing is if he helps someone, he's really, you know, tricking them or something. So it's like, when's that going to affect Superman or is it? So, Curse Base T. What is the best intro theme for a superhero TV show? Uh, which do you prefer, the opening Teen Titans or Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes? Um, best intro, I might have to go with 
Spider-Man, 1967. You know, that, that's one of the catchiest ones. Um, as far as Teen Titans or Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Earth's Mightiest Heroes is like, like, a, like a kind of bad 80s rock song. But I, I think I would go with Teen Titans because, again, that's kind of catchy. Not that I want to listen to it all the time, but, but that was good. Um, I liked Spectacular Spider-Man. I don't recall how it goes right now. I think it was some, the band was like something toaster, toaster something. Um, I don't remember how that goes, and I used, I love that song. My daughter and I would sing it every time we watched an episode. Um, yeah. Uh, how long will it take to get to this point? How much hate is Marvel now getting? How much of it is deserved? Is it overhyped? I don't know if they're getting a, a lot of hate. I mean, as I record this, uh, so again, I'm recording this a, a couple weeks ago, so uh, we just read uh, Fantastic Four, Thor, all new X-Men, you know, those are all really good. X-Men Legacy, I mentioned, wasn't my favorite. Um, the next week, which is last week for you guys, we had Captain America and Incredible Hulk. So, personally, I don't have a problem with this. And, you know, I, I always found it a little strange when people are like, like, oh, none of these sound interesting. But it's like, to me, I think they are interesting. It seems like, you know, we're, we're getting some good stuff. So, I don't know why there, there's hate over it. It's like, you know, you're switching writers on a big deal. You're renumbering the issues. Yeah, that sucks. So what? You know, hype it up, get new readers. Great. As long as, you know, the, the stories aren't being compromised. Who would win in a fight, Superman or Black Bolt? Um, I think I'm going to go with Superman. Would Ben 10 or Generator Rex, Generator Rex work in a DC universe? Um, I think they could just based on how you have like iVampire and Justice League Dark um, even Swamp Thing, you know, you got a lot of these characters kind of like in their own little pocket corners, pocket universe. Not, I don't want to say pocket universe, but even like, like you know, Sword of Sorcery. So I think that there's definitely room for, for them. Will Alpha Flight ever return? That's hard to say because it doesn't seem like people like them. It's like they, they keep trying. Should Wonder Woman get her own second book, such as Sensation Comics, has been suggested? Um. I guess it would depend on the sales. You know, I'm, I'm not sh- sure how the regular series is doing. And the question is, what would make it distinctive? You know, what, what would be the angle? Uh, would it be Wonder Woman's early days, which I would absolutely love to see, you know, more exploration uh, with her and Steve Trevor and whatever adventures when she first came. Or, you know, would it be another current continuity, which I don't know if we necessarily need that. Um, and then there's also the question, which I, think someone might have asked it coming up but it's like you know when does does wonder woman take place is it before after um justice league you know it's there's just seems like there's some discrepancies maybe that was a question last week (laughs) um could jeff johns make ambush bug a b-list hero would people buy such a book i don't know he's got a lot on his plate i just I, i don't know if with so many other characters, I don't think maybe a mini series, but I don't think people would necessarily want an ongoing goofy character. I don't know. Um, who is the Jeff Johns counterpart at Marvel? Um, I think, I mean, Bendis is one that writes like a million books like, that guides a lot. I mean, if you look at what he did with the Avengers, regardless of what you think of him, you know, he, he's really shaped um, a lot of the Marvel universe and now he's in the X-Men, you know, even the ultimate universe, you know, with, with Spider-Man, you know, he did a lot there. Um, 
see, as Namor is to Aquaman, Batman is Captain America Wolverine. Okay, so that's the same question. Can Cyclops use his optical blast to fly or propel himself vertically? Um, probably, but not very much because if he tried like blasting the ground, he's probably just going to start making a hole or you know a ditch. So I don't think that would work. Do characters affected by the rot recall the rot messing with their head? That's something that um, would have been a good question for for Scott Snyder, but we ran out of time, so I don't I don't know. Um, well, I guess maybe we'll we'll find out. Um, do characters like ever that? Um, with would an army of Bigfoot be a good plot point for any A list hero to deal with? With axes and a desire to kill all humans um army of bigfoot maybe <laughs> could death of the endless appear in new 52 or is she now strictly vertigo um she's now vertigo but dc can do what they want and i don't know if if they will so i guess we'll just have to see um i'm still waiting for more information on the upcoming Sandman. So we'll have to see what, what happens. And I mean, they're, they're bringing over Constantine, you know, fully into the new 52. So who knows? Um, the finality G man, if you could develop superpowers, DC comic styles, what type of powers would you want? Multiple overpowered abilities with one overall weakness. For example, Superman, Martian Hunters, Aquaman, one power that allows you to do a hundred different things with that one power. Example, the Flash. A talisman that grants you superpowers, Green Lantern, Dr. Fate. Or just advanced skills and training with money, resources, and technology, Batman and Green Arrow. Very good question. Um, if you had multiple super or overpowered abilities with just one weakness, you would do everything you can to avoid that one weakness. You would do everything that you could to make sure that's not a problem. I don't know if I, I, I mean, I don't think I'd want to have all those abilities. You know, as Scott Lobdell wrote, you know, Superman can't even feel a hot shower. So I don't, I don't think that's something that you would want. Um, a power that allows you to do a hundred different things. So like the flash, that would be cool. Talisman. I mean, who doesn't want a green lantern ring, but the problem is what if you lose it or what if something happens to it or, you know, so you're, you're relying, you're putting all your money on, on this one thing. So you just have to make sure something doesn't happen, doesn't get stolen or, or anything like that. Um, advanced skills and training, money, resource, technology. That'd be cool. That'd be realistic. But that probably also means more work. You know, if, if you want to be Batman, not only do you need to keep your mind sharp, you got to be working out all the time and, and your, your skills going. Uh, Rip Jim 93 I was wondering if you'd read The Umbrella Academy. If so, what did you think? And do you know why the third part has been delayed almost three years? And if it's ever actually coming out, I did review it. I remember when it came out, I was like, you know, this is cool. I mean, it had really great art. You know, Gerard Way, Way was writing it. I don't know what happened. I, I would love to see more. Um, it's 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 just weird because you know Gerard Way was at at Morrison Con, so you know he's still hanging out with with the, the comic people. But I don't know. Um, Rip Jim says, I also remember seeing a Green Day tour poster on your wall, and I was wondering where you got that. Um, I got that one off of eBay. You know, if you just go to eBay and just look at like concert posters, you can get like the the smaller, 
I, I don't know if that's what they're called is concert posters. Sometimes when you go to shows, they'll have them. Like I went to Alkaline Trio um, here at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And at the end of the show, they're like, get free, free. T- I think, I don't know. I can't remember if you had to give them your ticket stub in exchange for the ticket. Cause they want to make sure, you know, everyone, you know, got just one. Um, but that was cool. Cause I, I think that's, that's a great idea. They have to print them out, but it's like getting an extra souvenir from a show that you went to. And you know, a lot of times they have these really, really cool and great art. It's like that, that green day one. It was just like this, this alien with like money coming out of his pockets. And I think there's a bunch of guns pointing at him. That was weird. I, I got this Foo fighters one off of eBay. It was just like this stealth jet flying over pyramids. And, um, this other alkaline trio one I got was like the Mona Lisa, but it was like weird colors and like flames. And so it's, it's a cool thing. And I, I really think they should do more, but it involves money commissioning someone to do the art. But I, I think that would definitely be a cool thing. Um, Killtro 95 as at the time of this post ghost number one has been released and reviewed on the website. Um, anyways, what are your thoughts on dark horse revising this character? Um, you know, I wasn't a huge ghost fan when it came out. Part of the reason why is because with her costume, it's like her boobs were always like kind of spilling out. Not that I have a problem with, with boobs spilling out, but that's not necessarily something I, I'm not going to buy a comic because a character's boobs are spilling out. You know, that's not why I get comics. Uh, I get comics for the stories, for the art and, you know, everything like that. So that was always kind of a, a, a turnoff a bit. Um, I did read some, some, some issues. They were okay. I was not like completely blown away by them. Um, as far as, as this series, I originally was going to review it. I was like, cool. Ghost is coming back. Wasn't my favorite character, but you know this is kind of cool. Um, the zero issue, I think Greg was going to review it, but then it was just something came up. He ran out of time, so that didn't happen. And then issue one came out, and then I just asked Sarah, I was like, "Hey, do you want to review this?" And then she did. So I actually I haven't read issue one, but you know I'm I'm glad that the character's back, and I hope that it's it's doing well. Um, you know, Kelly Sue DeConnick is is a great writer, so. Um, I wish the series and her success on that. Uh, should Dark Horse revise other heroes such as X, Titan, Motorhead, and Barbed Wire? If so, which one of these would you like to see? I think I'd go with X of those. Um, should they revive those? If there's interest, if you know, I guess you have to test out. It's like, is this something people want to want to see? You know, maybe put in Dark Horse um, presents, and you know, it's, it's going to depend on the creative team. You know, who's writing it, who's drawing it. Bob's Bob's a nub says, I know it's probably too late to ask these questions since you may get to them only after the season, but, but here it goes. What are your favorite horror comics or comics that may fit into the Halloween theme? Uh, I feel like this is a question that's been asked before. I can't remember. Um, but like Hellraiser, I, I'm enjoying that. What boom's been doing that. Uh, they just put out the, the road below, which is Kirsty cotton as the female pinhead. Like her, her first. It's kind of like her year one book, so so that's good. Uh, Severed was was a great book. It's it's kind of has a horror feel. Um, I Vampire and American Vampire. You know, not really horror, but you know, it's vampires. Um, you can almost say like Swamp Thing and, and Animal Man are horror comics with all the, all the crazy things going under. But apart from that, you know, I I've tried reading like Halloween comics, um, Friday Thirteenth. Sometimes they just don't work. So there's some things. 
you you can't do that. But there, there's there's some other cool just like indie you know dark books. Um, I'm trying to think of what, what what trades I have at home, and I'm totally drawing a blank. But um, yeah, I I just think the main thing is establish movie characters, Child's Play, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, Freddy Krueger. Those do not make good comics. It's just it's hard. Hellraiser's kind of the exception, and maybe it's because Clive Barker's involved, and you know they they've been able to get the right kind of art where it doesn't it's not like too bright and just cheap and and fake. Um, let's see. Do you prefer anthologies of short horror stories, which format has a long running tradition, or um, in the genre of creepy, eerie? Or do you like the more modern approach of limited or even ongoing series? So that that was the other one. Um, Ghosts was an anthology from Vertigo. So that 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 had you know a bunch of short stories. That was cool, and it's hard. I, I think in some ways it's hard to write a short story because you know you're limited on the space. You need to get to the the point to hook right away. But on the other hand, you know it doesn't drag out. Um, I do like the miniseries. Like you know I mentioned Severed. You know that was great. Um. If I had to pick one or the other, I think maybe the anthology might might work better because I think that the shorter, quicker um, format is is kind of good rather than having something you know drag out too long. Kind of like some of these questions. No offense, not not you, not this question. Like my answers, I guess I sh- that's what I meant. Um, and last, do you have any long kept horror comic idea? Something original or franchise you would like to see in a comic book format? Maybe horror esque story. Okay. I can't reveal my story, so yeah, obviously I've I've thought thought of some things, but I can't can't say it here. Someone will, will take you'll take the idea. Nice try, Bob Zanub. Um, Drew V ninety nine. Have you read Superman Godfall? So I that's I brought that up with Scott. Um, so Joe Kelly wrote that. Uh, Michael Turner did the art. It's kind of a weird story. Um, Scott said he liked it. I think I have to go back and reread it because I remember it was a little odd. It just seemed like it came out of nowhere. Um, I definitely have to go back and reread it now because I'm I I can't really comment 100% how I feel at this moment about it because I, I remember it was a little little odd, little perplexing. So yeah, I should definitely check that out. But yeah, and to answer your question, yes, I've read it, and I guess that's all you wanted to know. Didn't ask me what I thought. Two Face seven seven seven. Hey G man, I wanted to tell you first how much I love Comic Vine. Thank you. Um, I think you do a great job. Thank you. My question is, if you think Batman's Hush would make a good villain in Christopher Nolan's Batman, I personally think it would be excellent. Um, so, unfortunately, Christopher Nolan's Batman is done. But, yeah, I, I think it could, could be cool. Uh, the The main thing with, with any movie in general, you can't have a, a really flamboyant, brightly colored, spandex-wearing villain. Um, Joker worked, which was tricky. Um, Two-Face... That you know, Aaron um, Eckhart did a good job, but as good as the the makeup was, looked a little weird. Um, so someone like Hush with his manipulation and everything like that, I think that could work. But will we ever see it? I don't know. Maybe we'll get an animated Hush um, movie. That'd be cool. The elusive new reader says, "I never really liked Superman or anyone in the Super Family. I mean." I'm not part of the drooling anti-Superman mob that seems to exist everywhere. He just never did it for me. I know this is a difficult kind of question, but can you think of a few story arcs that may change my mind on top of your head? Well, just go back what what's, you know Scott Snyder mentioned. I mean, All-Star Superman is great. Birthright's great. 
Um, I would even throw in Secret Identity, which is sort of Superman, but not really. Um, so I think that's the, the Kurt Busiek one that I brought up, I think, a, a few weeks ago on the, the other podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's some good good Superman stories out there. Um, just So yeah, I think Scott pretty much mentioned them all, so, so listen to that part. HTB106 says, G-Man, if Damian Wayne is so moody at the age of 10, what will he be like when he becomes a bat teenager? That is a scary question. So I don't know if we want to know that. Thankfully, we're probably never going to see Damien as a, a teenager. What could I mean by that? Uh, maybe it's because comic book time doesn't really go forward. So I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. I mean, I don't even know if we'd see him as a 12-year-old or 13. You know, I don't know. Um, our last question for today is from T-Rack. Considering that only characters Marvel cares about anymore are put on an Avengers team, what non-Avengers characters would you want to see become an Avenger? Um, I want to see Black Cat as an Avenger, maybe Nick Fury Sr. on the Marvel Now New Avengers Illuminati team. That would be an interesting addition to the Illuminati team. Um, what non-Avengers characters would I like to see there's not very many of them left because um, like you, you can't say Spider-Man um, can't even say like Richard Ryder Nova because you know, he was on a secret Avengers. Um, who else is left? I mean, who is not an Avenger and see, that's the problem is I can't even think about them because they don't get, get the spotlight. So that's, that's a tricky one. Um, yeah, I, I really want to see the Hulk back with the Avengers. I know he kind of is. I'm really curious how, how that would work out. You know, would he be able to control it? But then we already have Red Hulk, so maybe we don't need that. That is it for this week. Um, today's been a crazy day. So, um, that is all the questions I will be answering, unfortunately. So thank you to Scott Snyder. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was really like a total last minute um, like, hey, Scott, can you come on the podcast? Can you do this? Because, you know, it's something that I've, we've been trying to, to coordinate our schedules when I'm here in the, the studio to, to match up when he's able to do it since he's on, on the, the East Coast. So I hope you enjoyed this. Um, I know I didn't answer as many questions as I normally do, but, you know, we had the Scott on you know, answering other questions. So that was cool. If you have questions for me, if you have stuff that you want me to answer – Go to the Ask G-Man video questions thread in the general discussion forum. So it's pinned there. Um, this has been page 22. So as I read this, there's only two more pages after this. So hopefully you guys have more questions coming. Um, other places, if you're on Twitter. So my, my Twitter name is G-Man from Heck. And, you know, use the hashtag Ask G-Man. So that's where... I'll be able to, to see, your, you know, gather up all your questions in one place, all your, your at replies. So thanks for listening. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving last week. I believe that's when this is coming out. Um, and hopefully you guys, I should, probably shouldn't say anything. But hopefully you guys thought the um, Injustice character reveal was cool. Um, and... I will talk to you guys next time. So this has been the Invincibly Super Massive Comic Book Podcast of Stuff. I'm Tony Guerrero. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for asking questions. I will talk to you guys soon. Goodbye. So, so my question, my is, question is, is, could it be? We don't know. We don't know. And I would like to ask you which comic book does affect you most emotionally. Yep. Yep. That's the question. Don't shake your head. I love Alan Davis. This is a John Byrne issue. I love Alan Davis. I wasn't a fan of this. That's the question. You can't blame the immediate creative team. I give this a two.